I'm really excited to share with you some pretty interesting food compounds that you can include in your diet to help you look and feel younger and actually live younger and also boost your metabolism. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high-performance mind, body and lifestyle. Welcome to another episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Foster, and in today's episode is going to be a little solo-sode because I'm really excited to share with you some pretty interesting food compounds that you can include in your diet to help you look and feel younger and actually live younger and also boost your metabolism. Now, this is all based on research that I've been doing for my upcoming book. And as listeners of this podcast, I wanted to give you a little sneak preview. And many people are not aware when they're structuring their nutritional plan of the benefits of a group of foods known as sirtuin activating compounds. Now these types of foods, which we'll abbreviate to stacks, actually um, activate an ancient family of genes known as sirtuins. But there are also incredible benefits that you can get by including sirtuin activating compounds or stacks in your diet. And stacks have basically been shown to activate the sirtuin genes in the same way that things like caloric restriction, intermittent fasting and exercise do. So what that means is that these powerful foods mimic the effects of fasting and exercise. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just increase your consumption of stacks, which I'll go into what foods they are in a moment, as a complete replacement for things like a healthy calorie intake and movement. But they can be a really powerful addition to help you live healthier, fitter and leaner and also younger for longer. Now, the gene that's been really well studied for driving fat loss is SIRT1, so one of the sirtuin families. And in studies in mice, they've found that mice that have been genetically engineered to have high levels of SIRT1 are leaner and more metabolically active than mice that lack SIRT1, who generally are fatter and have a greater incidence of metabolic disease. In human studies, it's also been shown that obese individuals have lower levels of SIRT1 in their body fat. And in one study, it was shown that people who are leaner and less likely to struggle with weight gain have higher levels of SIRT1 gene activity. Now, as I already mentioned, consuming foods that are rich in sirtuin activating compounds or stacks enhances the activity of the sirtuin genes. And the other thing that's really good about these stacks is that they are actually master regulators of our metabolism. So not only are they going to help you to potentially live younger for longer, but they can also really help you to stay lean and fit. And Aidan Goggins and Glenn Matin talk about this in their brilliant book, The Cert Food Diet, the original and official cert food diet that's taken the celebrity world by storm. And as the authors elaborate in that book, foods rich in these stacks have a significant impact on fat burning while also increasing muscle mass and enhancing cellular fitness. So consuming sirtuin uh, rich foods and taking sirtuin activators can be a powerful combination for enhancing your metabolism, reducing cellular damage and also enhancing youthfulness. And sirtuins also help to protect your cells from things like oxidative stress um, and help your body to repair DNA that's been damaged from everyday functions and exposure to things like toxins. 
And there's also some evidence that sirtuins may play a role in helping to maintain the length of your telomeres. So what are the foods that contain the highest number of stacks of these sirtuin activating compounds that you can start to include in your diet to get these amazing benefits? Well, these are the following um, foods. So if you're driving, obviously don't make a list, but if you're not, then you might actually want to write these down. So these are basically apples, bird's eye chili, blueberries, broccoli, both cacao and cacao nibs, capers, celery, including the leaves on celery, cucumbers, dark leafy vegetables, extra virgin olive oil, grapes, green tea, um, it's actually slightly higher in matcha green tea, which is the powdered life, uh, leaf Sorry, rather than um, just normal green tea, kale, parsley, peppers, pomegranate, red onion, organic red wine, especially um, wine that is um, dry farmed and also Pinot Noir in particular, rocket, uh, strawberries, turmeric and walnuts. Now, one of the great ways that you can include some of these is obviously you can add different um, versions of these foods into your meals, but you can also start your day with a sirtuin activating smoothie or juice. So one of my favorite ways to do this is actually to have what I call an energizer juice. And you can download this if you go to my website, angelafosterperformance.com. And what I do is I juice up one green apple. This would make for two people. Um, a head of celery, two inch chunk of ginger. This is optional. I personally love the kind of pepperiness, so I include a lot of ginger. A handful of flat leaf parsley, half a cucumber, and juice of one lime. And then you basically juice all of these ingredients together, pour it over ice. And the best way to have this is to actually consume it on an empty stomach. So first thing in the morning, about 15 to 30 minutes before food. Really, really um, tastes amazing. Love it with the peppery ginger, wakes you up. And it also has the benefits of these amazing sirtuin enhancing compounds. The next thing that I want to talk to you about is hormesis and xenohormesis, which is actually the benefit of stressed plants. Now, things like we've spoken about fasting and also exercise, and they are forms of hormesis. But to, to really understand what's going on here, we need to look at the concept of the adaptive stress response. So one of the fundamental processes of life is the ability of organisms, including humans, to respond to physical, chemical, and social stressors. And hormesis is the concept that low levels of stress can actually improve health, adaptability, fitness, and well-being of an organism. And this is through the stimulation of the cellular stress response. So as I've already mentioned, an example of this would be fasting or something like a strength-based workout where the stimulation and breakdown of muscle fibers causes a stress response that enables the body to become strong, stronger. Now, for hormesis to be effective in causing that adaptation, the dose needs to be correct. So it needs to be a smaller dose. If you kind of go overboard or overexercise, then you've got too much stimulation. You can actually potentially then weaken that response. The second concept that I mentioned is more around the concept of interconnectedness of different living organisms on the planet. And this is the concept of xenohormesis, which is the process by which one organism benefits from the stress response of another. And so a good example of this would be us consuming a plant that has been stressed because that can actually then confer that stress tolerance to the animal or the human, in our case, that is consuming it. 
Now, because plants can't physically move away from stresses, um, from things like lack of water, nutrient availability, or extremes of temperature and environmental factors, these stressors actually have to be endured in place because, the, the, as I've said, the, the plant can't move. And so that stimulates a stress response in the plant that's been evolving for almost a billion years. And so, and so what we see here is that plants that are grown under less than ideal conditions, so ones that are not, the conditions are not there to maximise the crop yield, may offer more beneficial nutrients than those that are grown in conditions to maximise crop yield, such as in the case of monocrop farming. And an example of this would be in the production of wine. So the grapes that confer the most health benefits, and they often taste better as well, are those that are grown in relatively dry sun exposed in fertile, uh, in fertile soil. Now, wines that are grown in that way are often shown to have higher levels of resveratrol, um, which protects the plant by reducing damage from UV and also by eliminating pathogenic molds. And resveratrol has been shown in humans to activate the, what's known as the mammalian stress response system and to extend longevity. Another example is in the case of strawberries. What we find is that wild strawberries grown in drought stress conditions have higher antioxidant levels, phenol content, and also often taste better than strawberries that are cultivated in more controlled conditions. Now these um, xenohormetic plant compounds can benefit individuals, so humans like ourselves, eating them in two main ways. They can either benefit directively, directly, sorry, or by activating our own stress defense pathways. So in some cases, what we see is that the antioxidants contained within them, uh, in the case of things like vitamin C and E, actually benefit our bodies. Whereas in other cases, the polyphenols themselves, things like resveratrol and curcumin, stimulate our own stress response. And these bioactive plant compounds may actually improve longevity in humans and in animals by activating or priming their cellular survival pathways. And so what we cast these compounds are as caloric restriction mimetics. So they're activating those same pathways that get activated when we're on a calorie restricted diet or when we're fasting. Now there's an argument to suggest here that by engaging in monocrop farming, we actually may be losing important nutritional and health benefits that are conferred when we consume agricultural products that have actually been subjected to the stress that exists more naturally in nature, in a, in a natural environment. And so what, what I want to do now is just take you through some of the compounds that you might wish to include in your diet that help to promote longevity and will help you to benefit from this hormesis and xenohormesis. So the first one I want to talk about is curcumin. Curcumin is a compound that is produced by some plants and probably best known to be obtained from turmeric or otherwise known as curcuma longa. Now, curcumin is a powerful antioxidant and also anti-inflammatory that works in a few different ways. It's a potent antioxidant and so it protects cells from reactive oxygen species, but it also enhances your body's own natural antioxidant capacity. So our bodies actually produce their own antioxidant enzymes um, and these you may have heard of are things like glutathione, catalase and superoxide dismutase. 
Now, some people, when I look at genetic testing, so when I look at their DNA results, I find that they have a raised antioxidant need. And so in those cases, I encourage them to eat more antioxidant rich foods, but also consuming something like curcumin can actually help to boost your body's own natural endogenous antioxidant production. And so something like curcumin can help support this. And in that way, it can actually help to lower levels of chronic inflammation throughout the body. Now, curcumin has quite low bioavailability and it's actually only constitutes around three to 5% of the turmeric root. So it's difficult to obtain by just using turmeric in cooking. So for example, turmeric's a great addition into dishes like curries, for example, but you probably won't be getting enough levels of curcumin that you need to activate these pathways. You can actually increase the bioavailability by availability, sorry, of turmeric by combining it with black pepper or with a high quality fat source such as olive oil, coconut oil or grass fed butter or ghee. And that can help to improve the bioavailability. But if you really want to get the benefits of curcumin, then it may be better to consume it as a supplement rather than simply taking it through food. The next one I want to talk about is petrostilbene. Now petrostilbene is um, a powerful antioxidant and it's very similar to resveratrol, but it may actually be better absorbed and be a more potent antioxidant and anti-cancer molecule. Petrostilbene can be found in blueberries, and it's also another compound that you can take in supplement form. And that too also exhibits strong anti-inflammatory capabilities and may also help to increase levels of NAD that we were talking about earlier. Another compound that's worth looking at is coenzyme Q10 or CoQ10. And this is a natural compound that's found in mammals um, and it's a powerful anti-aging tool. And CoQ10 is an essential component in the mitochondrial electron transport chain. So it's needed for cellular energy. And it's also an antioxidant that's found in lipoproteins and plasma membranes throughout the body. Uh, the synthesis of CoQ10 tends to decline with age. And so as you get older, supplementing with CoQ10 can be very beneficial. If you're looking to find it in your diet, then you can find it in organ meats and also in oily fish, such as salmon. While we're looking at antioxidants, the next one I want to mention is glutathione. Now, glutathione is an antioxidant that is naturally produced by the body and it supports whole body detoxification and it helps cells grow and multiply and also repair themselves. And it plays a role in, in aging or inhibiting aging. Now, as we age, we actually set, tend to see a decrease in glutathione levels. And this seems to affect the onset of some chronic diseases that we're seeing in modern society. But there are three main ways that you can actually support glutathione in the body. And the first way is by supporting your body's own natural production of glutathione. And you can do this through consuming certain types of foods. So the first one is selenium rich foods such as chicken, fish, beef, Brazil nuts have great levels of um, selenium. Even just having sort of three Brazil nuts a day can be a great way to get selenium. Cottage cheese also has it and brown rice if you can tolerate that. And then also consuming foods that are high in vitamin C. So things like strawberries, blackcurrants, broccoli, red pepper and origin, uh, oranges sorry, can also help to support glutathione production. So can curcumin in turmeric. That can also help to enhance glutathione levels and improve glutathione activity. And then also essential amino acids or taking something like whey protein can help 
because um, glutathione is synthesized from the amino acids glutamine, cysteine, and glycine. The second way is that you can also consume foods that are naturally higher in glutathione themselves. And these include steak, chicken, um, pork loin, asparagus, avocados, broccoli, spinach, parsley, and tomatoes. And then finally, you can take a glutathione supplement. Now, sublingual supplements that you take um, where you, they get dissolved in the mouth may be better absorbed because they're bypassing digestion, or you can actually take liposomal glutathione as the liposomes, which are tiny fat droplets, um, protect the glutathione until the liposomes are taken up by your cells and broken down and actually release that glutathione. So if you look for a glutathione supplement, then you can look for one that is liposomal glutathione. Now they can be quite expensive and so an alternative is actually to take something known as N-acetylcysteine which I um, personally take and that's a glutathione precursor that's been used in therapeutic practices for several decades and that can actually help to replenish intercellular glutathione. Another one that I want to talk to you about is actually a flavonoid and it's called quercetin and quercetin is naturally found in green tea, apples, in ginkgo bilboa, uh, biloba, sorry, if I can get the pronunciation right, red wine and white wine. Now, levels of casetin are actually higher in white wine than they are in red wine. And it can, it's also particularly high in things like yellow chili peppers, onions, and capers. Casetin is a powerful antioxidant and research indicates that it may actually be one of the most powerful flavonoids for combating free radicals. But this does, again, seem to be dose de dependent. So high concentrations may actually cause casetin to become a reactive oxygen species in itself. So you want to get the dose right. But casetin enhances your body's own antioxidant producing abilities as well. And it's been shown to improve the production of glutathione, catalase and superoxide dismutase. The next one that I want to talk to you about is sulforaphane. Now, sulforaphane is a sulfur-based molecule that's found naturally in cruciferous vegetables. So cruciferous vegetables are things like broccoli, kale, cauliflower, cabbage, mustard greens, radishes, and Brussels sprouts. And I'm always encouraging my clients to eat as many cruciferous vegetables as they can, as this actually really, really helps with detoxification in the body. And sulforaphane, um, the research on this actually suggests that it's effective at activating your body's own antioxidant producing processes. And it's also been shown to induce autophagy, which is this cellular recycling and breaking down of parts of cells. And it stimulates the production of more mitochondria, so it can actually help to enhance energy as well. Now, sulforaphane is actually formed when you're chewing these cruciferous vegetables. To get sulforaphane, you actually need to be eating the cruciferous vegetable um, raw. I actually, one of the things I really like to do um, is to slice up some broccoli and then kind of soak it in olive oil for a little bit. So sort of drizzle olive oil over the top with maybe a sprinkle of sea salt. This tastes actually amazing. Um, but essentially what's happening is when you chew the raw cruciferous vegetables, as you're chewing them with your teeth, it breaks apart the plant cell walls. And this causes a chemical called glucarophinin to combine with another chemical called myrosinase. And it's when those two chemicals combine that a new compound is created, and that is sulforaphane.
Now, sulforaphane is toxic to insects, but in humans, it elicits this defense response and activates enzymes that actually help you to neutralize and excrete environmental toxins from the body. So it's a really, really powerful tool for detoxification. But this is best done when you're consuming raw cruciferous vegetables. So what you need to be aware of is that cooking um, can actually inactivate it. Now, what you can do, and this is actually a hack, is that if you are cooking your cruciferous vegetables, so like for example, broccoli, then after cooking them, what you can do is you can add half a teaspoon of mustard seed powder. It actually tastes pretty nice. Um, and what happens is because mustard is a cruciferous vegetable, um, it contains the myrosinase, and that then allows you to have the ability to create the sulforaphane, and it tastes really good as well. Um, the other thing you can do as well is eat broccoli sprouts. They're pretty amazing to put into your diet because they actually contain a hundred times the sulforaphane producing capacity of adult broccoli. Cruciferous vegetables also contain other compounds that aid in detoxification. So they're pretty amazing things to eat that includes um, dindol, methane or dim. And you can also take dim as a supplement. It can be really helpful in treating and preventing acne. So for women in particular who have hormonal issues, dim can be a really good supplement to take and you can actually see improvements in your skin. Then I want to talk to you about something known as epigallocatechin gallate or EGCG is the easier way to pronounce it. And that's the primary molecule that's contained in green tea. This acts as a free radical scavenger and it also activates the body's own antioxidant production. So we're seeing a theme here where these compounds actually not just contain um, antioxidants themselves, but they seem to be also helping our body's own production of antioxidants, which is brilliant. So including more of these compounds in your diet is definitely the way to go. And research indicates that EGCG is actually more potent than vitamin C and vitamin E. It can help to promote cellular autophagy, which is this self-eating of cells, so the cleanup that happens, um, particularly in cells in the liver. And it may also improve weight loss um, by increasing fat oxidation. Now, part of that might be down to the caffeine that's contained in green tea as well. But EGCG can also easily cross the blood-brain barrier and may actually be neuroprotective because it seems to reduce inflammation in the brain. And you can actually either have this in the form of green tea or if you really want to get decent levels of it, you can actually take it in supplement form. The last compound that I want to talk to you about are omega-3s. Now, omega-3s are really important. I've talked on previous podcasts about the importance of getting the ratio right in terms of your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. We know that the standard American diet contains way more omega-6s, um, as much as a ratio of 30 omega-6s to every one omega-3, and that's really too high. We're not designed to have that high levels. So you want to be looking for a ratio of somewhere around three to one of omega-3s to, sorry, omega-6s to omega-3s, but not really much higher. Um, the other thing about the standard American diet is actually contains lots of processed 
forms of omega-6s in the form of vegetable oils, which can be pretty oxidized and rancid. But omega-3s themselves are actually very anti-inflammatory, and it's really important to get enough omega-3s into your diet, either through consuming things like oily fish or taking it in, in supplement form. And more and more studies are emerging on the benefits of fish oil. And there's new research that indicates that it may be effective at um, staving off cardiovascular disease and metabolic issues that can occur with aging. So things like diabetes. And the micronutrients in fish oil, such as the omega-3 fatty acids, and also notably vitamin D, seem to be shown to have an impact on something known as telomere length. Now, telomeres are the caps on the chromosomes in your cells and they protect them from damage. So over time, as we age through repeated cell division and also things like inflammation and oxidative stress, the telomeres wear out and they shorten. And this eventually leaves your cells chromosomes unprotected and the wear and tear can begin to affect your DNA. Now, to think about what telomeres are, you can think of them as being similar to to the caps on the end of your shoelaces. They basically keep the shoelaces from fraying. And in this case, they're protecting your chromosomes. That's their job from being damaged or actually tangling with each other. But over time, they can get shorter until eventually they may disappear. Now, the way that we can prevent this from happening so much is through an enzyme known as telomerase, and that helps to lengthen telomeres and stop them from wearing out too fast or too early. And supplementing with fish oil has actually been shown that if you supplement with fish oil at a dose of two and a half grams per day, this can actually lead to a 32% reduction in telomere shortening. So this is really important. And then also in studies of middle-aged rats, fish oil has been shown to increase the activities that we've talked about quite a lot in this episode in terms of the antioxidants, glutathione, superoxide dismutase and catalase, as well as the total antioxidant capacity. So I personally take somewhere between two and three grams of fish oil daily. What I would say to you is when you're taking it in supplement form, it's important that you do take a really pure fish oil um, and that one that hasn't been oxidized and contains something like vitamin E alongside it to prevent oxidation. Otherwise, you may just end up doing more harm than good. The other thing to think about when we're talking about telomerase activity as well is that this can actually be detrimentally affected by things like chronic stress, um, lack of exercise, if your plant consumption's too low, so you want to be making sure you're getting a really predominantly plant-based diet, eating as many vegetables and some fruits as you can. Uh, and also to help reduce stress, I just encourage you to include as many practices as you can in terms of things like mindfulness, meditation, and yoga. And this is really important because we can't actually take telomerase. Um, So what we need to do is make sure that we've got the right nutritional and lifestyle practices in place to support our body's own production of it. Now, in my upcoming book, I actually go into all of the things that you can do, both nutritionally and in terms of stress and enhancing your sleep and your movement practices to really put you in the best position in terms of enhancing your health and longevity. So if you're interested in hearing that's going to be coming out soon in the next few weeks, then head over to my website, www.angelafosterperformance.com. And if you put your email address in there, I will keep you updated on the release date. Um, I hope that episode was helpful and gave you a few more things that you can think about in terms of including in your diet to help promote your health and longevity. 
that's all for today. Um, have a great week and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.